Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Guy from Guy's Woodshop, and as always, I'm joined by Hui Huen, also known as the Alabama Woodworker. Good evening, Guy. Good evening, Hui. And Brian Schmidt. Well, I'm just going to say good evening to Guy since we didn't say good evening to me. Good evening, Guy. <laughs> good evening, Brian. Do you feel better? Me. Sorry. Sorry. Get over it. Hey, guys, you, you got to give me a second. Uh, my dog just got out. Hold on. Hold on. I'm sorry. Sorry, my dog got out of our fence. He's figured out how to get out of the fence. Does he just like to take his little pop there and twist the handle or? He knows how to push it so that it's a double, you know, it's a double door. So he knows how to push on it and dislodge it. And yeah, he's not, he's, he's extraordinarily bright, but he's not very bright. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, shall we continue? This podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. And we also have a Patreon account. Right now we have one level and we're simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife. I'd also like to say hello to our two newest patrons. We have Mike from Pixels to Prototype and Joseph Urban. Thanks, guys. And we sincerely hope that you will give us your support. And stay tuned to the end of the show to hear about what we've got going on in our shops. So, Hui, why don't you take the first question? Okay, this question is from Jacob. Hey guys, really enjoy the podcast. I hear you were low on questions and I had a couple so that I thought I would send them to you. First question, I am looking to build a bed for my for me and my wife. How can I determine the best wood to make it from? Cost is much more a factor than how it looks. Another factor is we are heavy set people and I want to be sure it's not going to break while we are on it, either sleeping or otherwise. That's funny. That's funny, Jacob. I like it. <laughs> um, so I think me personally, um, I, I like working with soft maple. I think it's a relatively inexpensive. A lot of drawers are made out of soft maple. It's a relatively inexpensive wood to use. It's not the best to stain. So if you are looking to either stain it or alter the color in any way, the maple is a little bit more closed grain. It just doesn't take stain as well as, say, like red oak or ash. Uh, that being said, I think red oak, if you were looking to stain uh, your workpiece, um, red oak might be a good choice. I've used that, except same pretty well. Um, but I, I think more importantly than the wood that you use is making sure that the hardware you use is going to be appropriate for the type of bed that you're going to that you want to make. And that's really going to be the determining factor, I, I believe, in in how sturdy that bed is going to be. Uh, so uh, there are, as far as I know, there are two options for uh, bed hardware. Uh, one are the uh, the hook type that hook into a bracket or a bracket that hooks into a, a, a hook that hooks into a bracket. Or the other type that I know of is the um, the bed bolts. So it's sort of like an eye bolt that goes through the post and the uh, the frame of the bed. Uh, Guy, what do you, what are your thoughts on this? What what do you think would be a good sturdy wood that uh, might be a little bit inexpensive in cost? I think I know what you're going to say. It might be hard to get at this point. I don't know. Well, yeah, and I think ash is a good choice. Um, which is what you probably thought I was going to say. Yeah, kind of thought. Um, it, yeah. You had mentioned it before. If you know, if you're, if budget is a a big concern, mm-hmm. you mentioned red oak, but there's also cortisone red oak, which can be gotten very inexpensively, mm. and it looks much better than flat sawn red oak. And red red oak is still horrible, nasty wood to work with, no matter what <laughs> you do. It's very um, splintery. splintery. Yeah, it, yeah. It, sh- it shatters and does all kinds of crazy stuff. So um, there, <laughs> that's about all I can add to that. Uh, I, I like the idea of, of soft maple. You hear the word soft maple and you think, wow, it's soft. No, it's pretty darn hard. Um, yeah. It's just not as hard as hard maple. It's much easier to work with. 
Yeah. Brian? Well, I think you're definitely going to want to go with a hardwood, mentioning that you and your wife are heavier set people. The hardwood is going to give you a lot better um, strength and durability long term than what you're going to get with a softwood like a pine. Um, I was going to say oak, but Guy said that. Ash. And another one uh, that you might consider, depending on, on where you are and price-wise, might be uh, mahogany. Hmm. African mahogany. What he said, yes. Yeah. Um, so I, I for I mean, if you're going to go, if you're going to go on the basis of cost, so if that's the biggest driver, um, then then I would probably go with with red oak and probably a, a quarter sawn red, just because mm. I don't like the flat sawn red oak uh, appearance. And with your bed rails and the posts and everything like that the straighter grain that you're going to get in a quarter sawn red oak is, I think will just look a lot nicer than some sure. of the, the arches or cathedral type patterns that you would get in a flat sawn board. Yeah. So. We, we're doing a, a lot at work with quarter sawn red oak. We're just starting to transition over from ash. We still have ash available. I think we just ordered, you know, yeah. a couple thousand board feet of it. Um, but we've been using a lot of red oak and I've talked to some of the guys out in the shop and they seem to think it's, it's been okay. Um, yeah. is it quarter sawn or just flat quarter sawn red oak? Quarter quarter sawn. Sawn. Yeah. We've done a little bit with both, but quarter sawn is part of our standard line. Mm -hmm. You just have to be careful. Uh, uh, Jacob, uh, when you buy it, just make sure you buy it from somebody who knows how to dry it. Because uh, the oaks are are known for case hardening and honeycombing, if not dried properly. Yeah, um, I know we got a batch of that in that was badly yeah. honeycombed. Yeah, so just make sure make sure that wherever you're buying it from, it's a reputable supplier with a with a solid drying process. Yeah. All right. So Brian, I think you've got the next question there, buddy. All right. This question is from Sam Kruger, and Sam says, Hi, guys. I'm a hobbyist woodworker on the Gold Coast of Australia. I've slowly acquired all of the tools I feel are necessary to build those pieces that my children will one day inherit or sell in a yard sale. <laughs> I don't have a bandsaw and have gotten by with a jigsaw in most situations. My major issue is when I have thick lumber, five quarter, for example, and need only a thin board off of that. It's wasteful and expensive to plane it down, and I feel a bandsaw is required for a good quality resaw. Is this a good enough reason to purchase a bandsaw? That would be that would be a reason to purchase a bandsaw. Um, whether it's a good enough reason, there are a lot of ways that you can resaw a board. Um, I don't have a bandsaw, and I do a decent amount of of resawing with with a table saw with a 10 inch blade, you can typically resaw up to about a six inch wide board um, by turning it on its side and, and over multiple passes, uh, flipping end to end and getting all the way through that. Um, so if all you're after is a resaw ability, um, I think it just depends on how wide of a resaw capacity you might need or want. Um, that said, the bandsaw can do a whole lot more than just resaw. Um, for sure. Great for, you mentioned having a, a jigsaw. Uh, so it sounds like maybe you're cutting some curves and the bandsaw will uh, really excel with that, with the ability to, to cut long curves and to do that maybe a little bit more accurately. Mm. Um, we, what do you think? Is that is that a good enough reason to purchase a bandsaw? You know, I'm going to be... Uh... Mr. Contradictory. And I'm going to say it is, I'm going to say it is a good enough reason. And I'll say that one of the reasons is because when you're resawing on a table saw, there is a significant amount of waste. Now, mind you, it is an eighth of an inch. And so, you know, it's not, you know, an exuberant amount, but if his concern is being wasteful or expensive to plane down material, then I would say, yeah, then I think getting a bandsaw would be a good choice. And, and you don't have to necessarily get a 17 inch bandsaw either. Um, I know that I have had some issues with a bandsaw, a 14 inch bandsaw on a riser block, but, uh, from 
some of the listeners that have um, typed in about their experiences with 14 inch bandsaws and riser blocks, they've had good success. So don't take my experience with my riser block as the status quo. Uh, Guy, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you think it would be a good enough reason if, if you're doing a lot of resawing and you want to be mindful of waste? What do you think? Let's take away the resawing thing for a minute. Sure. If I had to get rid of a bunch of tools, mm-hmm. I would get rid of my table saw way before I got rid of my bandsaw. Okay. I use my bandsaw more than I use my table saw, hands down. I rip with it, I resaw with it, I cut joinery with it. It's very, it's a much safe, A, it's a much safer tool to use. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, like ripping a board is just wonderful on it. You don't have to, you don't have to go through all these gymnastics with it. You just put it on there, put a fence on and you're off to the, yep. off to the races, put it on mm-hmm. a joiner. You clean up the edge and you're you're ready to go. And it does yeah. a great job. You don't have to worry about the the wood closing in on itself and pinching your blade. Um, sure. It's great for resawing that we did talk about. It's also very good for cutting veneer. It's mm-hmm. good for cutting curves, circles, um, mortise and tenon, mortise or the, the the tenons for mortise and tenon joinery. That's usually what I use. Right. Um, I mean, I use my bandsaw quite a bit, and, and I use it for other things other than woodworking too. I've got a carbide tip blade on it; I can cut all kinds of stuff with it. I was cutting some aluminum with it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, um, yeah. So, in that sense, I'd say, yeah, if you can, if you have it within your budget to get a bandsaw, I highly recommend it. Um, as I, I, I really couldn't live without my bandsaw. Right on, right on. Can I, can I, can I, can I tack a, uh, a, an add-on question here? So if you had to go with like a three horsepower bandsaw versus like a one and a quarter, one and a half, or maybe one and three quarter, I'm not sure, but a, a smaller motor or less, lesser powered motor, um, how, how strongly do you feel about going with that bigger, like three horsepower motor, that's going to require um, 220 volt circuit to be able to run. Wait, you want to take that? Um, I ran a one and a quarter horse uh, motor on my 14 inch, and it was it was okay. Like I resawed with it. It wasn't, you know, it was a little slower, right? I mean, it wasn't uh, it wasn't as fast, but uh, but I felt like it had enough power to get through the material. I mean, at that time I had the resaw, the riser block. So I think the most I ever resawed was 10 inches. Okay. Um, and that was on a rare occasion. So, yeah. and I, I, I felt like it was manageable. It was, it was fine. Like, you know, you just couldn't go as fast, bog down the motor a little bit if you, if you did, but it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. You don't have to have a huge motor. The bigger motor will allow you to use, you know, with mine, I've got a three horsepower, mm-hmm. but I also have a, a three tooth per inch carbide blade on it. And right. I can seriously move wood through it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, however, you don't need anything. You don't have to have anything like that. All that stuff is just nice to have. It, it, yeah. I don't really think it's necessary. I'd, I'd look at anywhere between the one to one and a half horse range. If you're going to do one ten, that's all you're going to get. I, I would three quarter. I think would be a little anemic. You'll find those are mostly like the, some of those ten inch bandsaws. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the more horsepower you can get, the better. And if you don't have two twenty now. A lot of those motors are convertible 110 to 20. It won't yeah. give you any more horsepower, but it won't suck as much amperage and you'll get, it won't bog down as easy. You got more, a little bit more torque. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and one other thing, just to tack on what guy you were saying is now, now that I've, I've got a little bit more of the space, the outfeed space with where my bandsaw is oriented, I almost am, I, I, I'm using my bandsaw a lot more just for, 
processing lumber just for doing my rips on my roughs on boards. So I think, Sam, I, I think you'll notice the same thing as well once you get a bandsaw that you'll probably end up using a lot more than you think. Okay. All right, Guy, you got the next one, man. This question comes from Paul, and he says, my question is about Guy's favorite bug excrement or poop, <laughs> shellac. She treated me wrong, and I needed help from my bros. Okay, it's more of a rant, so hang with me. I've been a shellac lover for a while, and she's never been fickle. Used her on a dozen projects, personifying shellac here. Always great results, always a good time, always easy, and always use a rubber, you know, to be safe. <laughs> this time I sat it down with a secondhand veneer 3x4 table and decided to give it a shellac finish. Using the big box stores version, I grabbed my favorite blonde, got her drunk with half alcohol, grabbed a trusty rubber, and went to town on the table. Oof. Okay, okay, enough with the puns. For the life of me, I always got streaks on the surface no matter what I did. I tried different cuts, different applicators, rubber, foam, brush, and paintbrush, sanding between coats, not sanding, working super fast, going slow, light coats, heavy coats, whatever. I even went to Google and found an article from 2010 and Fine Woodworking that said dilute with 25% mineral oil and then wipe with naphtha once dry. Big mistake. Won't get into it. Still bitter. <laughs> Apparently, though, it's hard to apply shellac on large surfaces. Yeah, it, it can be if the be. if the pound cut of the shellac is very low. Uh, so here I am asking the experts, do I really need to break out my HVLP spray gun and section off my garage, or am I doing something wrong? Do you have any tips? And Paul, yes, putting shellac on with a hand application can be difficult over a large surface. Um, most of the time when I'm applying shellac, I do use my HVLP. And I do not section off my garage when I do it. The only time I do that is when I'm using uh, pigmented water-based uh, conversion bar varnish. But for shellac, I don't, I don't bother for the most part. Um, anyways, um, yeah, I don't know this particular problem, what you, what, what problem you've, is causing that. I would guess the shellac itself. Um, too low of a cut, too low of a cut or too much of a, too heavy. I don't know. He says he bought, yeah, got it from the big box store. So it's probably, um, two pound. Uh, well, if it's regular shellac and not seal coat, that's like mm -hmm. three or four pound cut. Ooh, right? that's really heavy. Yeah. So the, uh, I don't know. I, I yeah, to be honest. Yeah. The, 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 the seal coat's only like two pound cut. Okay. okay. Um, that's what my understanding of it is. I rarely use either of those materials. Um, so... I've ne I've never tried thinning it with mineral oil. I don't know how well that would work. I don't think yeah. mineral oil would really act as a solvent with shellac, would it? That sounds like a bad idea to me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you're especially if you got a de-wax shellac and then you're going to add mineral, I don't know. That just I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, who am I to question anything from fine woodworking? Um, right. <laughs> But uh, I'm I'm a big proponent of spraying shellac, even on the little bo like little boxes and stuff. I'll get a rattle can of the seal mm -hmm. coat, so I don't have to break out the HVLP gun, and I'll well, just use that and put a couple coats down. He doesn't have to it if, if he's really into shellac, right? He doesn't have to get an expensive three to five stage HV. He could get a one stager, couldn't he? And, and spray. I've never done it with a one stager but i don't even know if they, they the only thing i've ever seen is like even the the Erlux is a two stage um okay. he says he's got a gun already oh so it's not like he would have to buy a new equipment he just doesn't want to break it out which i mm. which i dig he doesn't want to you know have to 
like you said, section off his garage and do all that stuff just to put down. Yeah, but for bigger surfaces, you're kind of kind of have to, right? Yeah. I mean, maintaining that wet edge is not the easiest because that no, shellac just dries so dries fast. Dries so fast. Well, it just it just requires a lot more post processing sure. if you're going to do the bigger surfaces. And I've done large surfaces without using the spray gun, and it it does leave uh, some ridges and stuff like that, but. You know, um, but that's with uh, not using uh, a brush. If you use a good brush, the mm -hmm. edge of it stays, it'll stay pretty wet. Yeah. So, you know, unless you're doing like an eight foot long table, then you should be okay. I would think. Now, you don't have to maintain a... You just have to maintain a wet edge. The entire yeah. surface doesn't have to be ed wet, right? Correct. In order for it to level properly. Correct. Because once you go back over it with the other slack, it's melting into the first. Right, right. Thing. So right. you might be putting it on too thick also. This is something that's, else. So. That's great. Holy possible. Anytime, I'm sorry, Brian. <laughs> Let me try I'm, to get you I'm, in on this conversation. I'm, 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 just, sorry. I'm, I'm just soaking it up from you guys. I, don't, I really don't have anything to add on this one, so. When, whenever I've had bridges, I, I, I've just lightly sanded and just gone, you know, wiped it off and gone over it like uh, on, with a lighter coat and yeah. it tends to take care of it. Yeah. Um, tends to solve the issue whenever I, I've had streaks, mind you now, anytime I've used shellac, it's been on smaller pieces, not on the bigger pieces, bigger pieces. I generally like to use like wipe on poly just because it's almost, it's a little bit uh, more forgiving, I guess. Yeah. But see, I'm on the big, like I said, on bigger pieces, I'm mostly grabbing my HVLP. Yeah. And I've sprayed, yeah. you know, fairly large pieces using the HVLP and uh, shellac. It's expensive to do it that way because I'm not I'm not using like like the seal coat. I'm using you know BT and C or whatever that that brand is. You can get it uh, Woodcraft. I think it's BT and C. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know thirty bucks a pound, and you might go yep. through half a pound of it because there's yep. a lot of there's a lot of waste there. But it works yeah. well. To me, it's worth it. Yeah. The the, the waste and the cost to yeah. spray it versus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you spend, you know, 100 hours on something. Yeah. And you're going to cheap out on finish. I see that all the time. People just get mm -hmm. so, oh, I don't want to buy it. It's so expensive. Well, you know, you've got, you know, 250 $300 worth of materials and you just spent, you know, 150 150 hours of your life putting this thing together why not spend 50 bucks instead of 30 bucks you know yeah yeah it's all it's all relative i think so yeah yeah anyways i i hope that kind of answers the question and uh we'll kick it back to you hui all right this question is from Lindsay. hi guys thanks for continuing to put on informative podcasts always a pleasure to listen to I have a question about dovetail jigs. I make a good amount of furniture pieces with drawers and I'm looking for to potentially get a dovetail jig for drawers. 99% of my drawers are made out of half inch stock. I have no desire to hand cut. Time and accuracy are important. I've heard these jigs can be a pain to set up, but I'd imagine once set up, it might be worth it. Any recommendations on a particular jig? So. If you're looking for the bee's knees and my recommendation for a jig. The bee's the one, knees? You know. Only I'm allowed to say something like that. Oh, listen. It, 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 they're you're too young. Court. You're too young they're, to They're say coming back, thing. man. They're coming back. Um, okay. The one that I have is a Lee dovetail jig. That sucker's about $800. It ain't cheap. I actually bought it on eBay used for 150 and it was missing like one bar or something. So I just bought the bar for like 60 bucks, I think with the, with the little teeth, the teeth that were yeah. missing. And, um, it is a, it can be a pain to set up, but man, they make really nice dovetails. Um, and I've used it only twice because <laughs> every other time I've just hand cut them. Now, there are le less expensive jigs, and, and they're all kind of copied off of the Porter Cable Dovetail Jig. Um, 
But me personally, okay, so if, if this is what you're doing, right? If this is, you're doing a lot of these drawers and you really want to get a good dovetail jig, then I would probably recommend the Lee dovetail jig. The alternative to that, which is a lot less expensive, it, they come, they run around 150 to $200. I think Rockler makes a pretty decent one because I don't know if Porter Cable still makes that. I, they don't no, make think, they don't make the Omni jig anymore. The big huge one. They make well, what just, about the? They make go like, ahead. I'm sorry. They make like a standard mm -hmm. dovetail jig. But I want to say that you are you are locked into half inch sizes, right? So like half inch increments of how yeah. wide that board yeah. is, right? So like yeah. for instance, you can do an eleven inch board. You can do an eleven and a half inch board, but you can't do like. I don't know, nine and three quarter inch board or something like that. Uh, because the half pin, the, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, will yeah. Be odd. it's not, it's um, not an adjustable pin. Right. Right. What are your thoughts guy? Cause I know you've got a lead jig, but have you used the, I've not used the rockler or the Porter cable, like I, generic. I haven't used the rockler or Porter cable, but I used to have way back in the day, a craftsman jig. That was basically the same thing as some mm -hmm. of those jigs that you find out there are. And, you know, it was a real pain to set up, but once you got it set up, it worked fine. The the lead jig, every time I use that thing, which is not that often, um, I spend probably two hours trying to remember how to use the darn thing <laughs> and then 20 minutes cutting dovetails. But it's very easy to set up. Um just gotta follow directions. Just gotta be. Just have to follow directions. Uh, I use my most of the time when I'm doing dovetails. I'm I'm using half inch to five eighths inch stock, and mm -hmm. I'm using my Incra jig uh, okay. on the router table because I'm just so darn familiar with it. And I can pound stuff out pretty quick with that. So you're making a good bit of dovetails on the on the Incra fence. Well, I have. Okay. I have. Okay. Okay. Um, but then again, you know, the I, I like you, I bought my lead dovetail jig on eBay. I actually yeah. got mine new in a box. It wasn't the DR4. It was the something 1600. It's a 16 inch, but it still has mm -hmm. the movable teeth and everything. And it was discontinued for three or four years when I bought it. Uh, but it was yeah. brand new in a box. I think I paid like a hundred bucks for it. So wow. I, I got a really, really lucky on it. Um, yeah. But. Mine isn't the top of the line Lee, but it it's pretty, I think it is the 1600. I might have the same one that you have. Yeah. Guy, but It's possible. Uh, Brian, what do you, do you cut dovetails? I don't know. Do no, I do not. So um, never had really any reason to. Whenever I need drawer boxes, I go to AmishCabinetDoors.com and order them from there. <laughs> See, you take it to another level, man. <laughs> Push the easy button, which doesn't make me much of a woodworker, but you know. I, I, Lindsay, I don't think you're going to go wrong with like either the Rockler or the Porter Cable copy of a dovetail jig. Mm -hmm. Just realize you're going to have some limitations. And if you're able to work within those, know what those limitations are. And if you're able to work within those limitations, it might be a good budget jig for you. Um, saying that you're doing a lot of drawers, eh, I might bite the bullet and get a Lee. And you don't necessarily get the have to get the you know top of the line Lee jig. They make other, I think they make a 12 inch as well. They, they also make one that you can use on the router, ta router table. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen those. It's a much smaller jig. Yeah. Um, yep. I can't really explain it, but they also make something like that. That's a lot less expensive. It's only a couple hundred bucks brand new. Yep. Yep. I so. think uh, Woodhaven makes one that's similar. I've never tried Woodhaven products. There are a couple of very similar ones or copies to the Lee. So do your research on that um, and see which one a fits your budget. But again, is going to meet your needs. Brian? Brian, actually, I actually have a follow-up question for you guys on dovetail jigs. So, if you're going to be batching out a bunch of drawers over time, um, and you're consistently using half-inch stock like Lindsay referenced using, would it, would you even consider maybe buying 
two routers, one with each of the collets and bits set up that are needed just to make that, you know, as easy and absolutely cut down on setup time and getting everything all configured. Absolutely. Cause you don't need, yeah, you don't need a three horsepower router. You just get like a, like a one and a half, one and three quarter horsepower router, get a cheaper, a less expensive one and uh, get it all set up and just, just leave the bits in there. Yeah. You can find a ton of them used on Facebook marketplace, Craigslist offer up. I, I see them all the time, you know, 50 bucks for, you know, a DeWalt or a Makita, an older one or a Craftsman or whatnot. Yeah. Wholeheartedly. Yeah. That's a great idea. All right. All right, Brian, since you got such a great question there, well, you got the next one. <laughs> Let's see. Maybe I'll, I'll read this one from Jason. All right. Jason is a fellow Indianapolis native, like oh. guy and I. He says, being from Indianapolis, I have a woodworking buddy who's taken a lot of classes at Mark Adams School of Woodworking. He has tried to get me to join a class, but it is quite an investment due to the cost and other factors, such as possibly a week off of work, depending on what class you sign up for. While I would love to take a class due to being, expo- due to being exposed to new techniques and tools, I just don't know if it's worth the investment when I'm just a hobbyist with limited budget and space for tools. Mm-hmm. Two questions. Have any of you taken a woodworking class like this before? And two, is it worth the investment for the class or should I continue to build skills by online research and building my shop with tools? Thanks for the great podcast and being willing to take my question, Jason. So have you, let's let's go round robin. Have you taken a woodworking class like this before? For me, I have not. We, what about you? I have, and I don't know if you would necessarily call it a class. Yes, it's a class, but it's more like a workshop. It was Greg Pennington's uh, shop. And and to be honest, it's not totally fair because his workshops are extraordinarily affordable. I think it's like $1,500, but that includes all materials. So, and you come home with a chair, a really nice one. So, I don't know if that's fair. Yeah. Guy, guy sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Guy, have you taken a woodworking class like that before? No, I have not. You have not. Right. I have not. So- mainly because I'm too damn cheap. <laughs> the other reason is, is if you look at the Mark Adams stuff, they almost run it like a, a school and you have to take prerequisites. You can't take this class unless you take that class first. And I don't want to take a, a class in how to use a screwdriver to take this other class. So I, I just know I've just never bothered with it. Okay. So I did not do that. Yeah. Yes. They put it in there. I guess it's, it's not true, but they still put it in their, their literature. And uh, I just, like I said, I just have no, no, I know people that have been through classes. Um. <laughs> Danny, yes. our, our production, no, he's not production marriage. I don't know what his title is anymore. Uh, I, I, I keep calling him the Grand Poobah. Um, <laughs> he went through their entire program and got their master woodworker certificate or whatever they call it. My um, son's father-in-law has the same thing. Hmm the same certificate and actually my dermatologist (laughs) has it. Yeah. So I, I, and there's, you know, here in Indianapolis, you, you run into people at woodworking shows and stuff like that, or at meetups. There's a lot of people that have gone through the Mark Adams stuff. I I said, I'm just too cheap. Yeah. More than anything else. I've wanted to a couple of times. But. Yeah. So, so his second question is, is it worth the investment for the class or should I continue to build skills by online research and building my shopper tools? And I think I can only answer that for myself. I, for me, it, it, it could be worth the investment if it was the right topic, because the thing I see is valuable in doing something like that would be the hands-on instruction. So I'm, I'm going to be trying, I'm going to be taught a technique I'm going to practice the technique and I'm going to receive coaching and feedback on, on how I'm practicing that technique. And to me, that would be in terms of the way that I learned, that would be really valuable for me. Um, and secondly, the kind of the community and fun aspect of it to spend a couple days or, or to spend a weekend or a week um, with a lot of people that have 
similar interest and passion and to go through and do that together and the camaraderie building that happens during that would be another big draw for doing it. I'd love to do a class like that with somebody that I know. Um, Mm -hmm. So you've got a friend there, but you're also meeting uh, new people. Um, And someday when our kids are old and out of the house, I definitely intend on doing it, but our daughter is only first grader. So I've got, I've got a few more years before I reach that point, but no rush. And it'll be, it'll be fun when the time gets here and I'll enjoy. So when you're 70, so when you're 70, I I, I would agree that I I think that those, those classes are beneficial for the right person. Correct. Um, You know, if you're, Let's say you're you're my age and you're thinking about retiring and you don't really have any hobbies. Well, I want to take up woodworking. And money isn't really a huge issue. I say go for it. Take the classes because you'll get much further along in your woodworking journey in a couple years of going to those classes, maybe two or three times a year than you will Mm -hmm. in 10 years of doing it all, you know, on by yourself and then you then you're just going to die. So do it, do it while you can and get the instruction while I can. Good instruction is worth its weight in gold. For sure. For sure. For sure. For me, I I look at as a woodworking vacation around other people that I enjoy being around. We're talking shop. You know, typically I'm staying at a nice hotel and, and, you know, I'm going out to eat at night and whatnot because I can't, you know, cook for myself in the hotel room. So, so, you know, those are typically, that's typically how I've seen it. And I've done two of those. Um, But don't disregard a lot of these online classes too. Um, The really great thing, they're relatively affordable, you know, 50 to $100 for an online class. And really the great benefit of that is that you're able to go back and see a lot of those things. So yeah. don't discount, you know, online classes either. Yeah. All right. Brian, or was that your question? That was my question. Okay. Is it my question again? I think you're going to bring it home. Is that the you last, the last one? one? Yep. Really? Okay. All right. Let me find it here. This is from Austin Beeler. And Austin says, thanks for delivering this content. I've learned a lot and I think I've listened to every episode. Cool. My question is about which router table to purchase. I have an old Rockler, their cheapest model, and I'm looking to upgrade to considering three models in particular. Woodpeckers, Acura, or Acura. Incra and Jessam. Uh, I believe Guy has both the Woodpeckers and the Incra, and I'd like to hear from all of you what you have, what you would recommend. Part two of my question is I would like to add dovetail joinery to my repertoire and was considering the Incra router table with the Incra Super System LS17 fence, specifically because of its setup for doing that. Is that a good way to go, or should I buy a standalone dump? We just kind of covered this question, didn't we? And if so, which one? The other things I use my router table for are raised panel cabinet doors, dados, and obviously edge treatment. I'm a hobbyist trying to make this a full-time job and primarily build cabinets and cabinet-based furniture at this point. I've also done a bed and some tables. Sorry to be so long-winded. I very much appreciate your input. This is from Austin at AJ Squared Woodworks. So I think we kind of covered the whole dovetail jig thing before, right? Kind yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we kind of did. Let's talk about router tables for a minute. I'm a big proponent of router tables. I use my router table about almost as much as I use my bandsaw. I use it for a while. I I rarely use my handheld router. I always use the router table if I can. Um, the only time I, I don't use it is when I've got a piece that's too big for it, like a tabletop or something. But other than yeah. that, I'm always taking the smaller pieces and taking them over there and, and running them through. Um, I did at one time have a woodpecker and the Ankra. Now, the Ankra 
I managed to buy um, through Craigslist. And I got it very cheap for the LS17 fence system. Um, the router plate and the, the lift and everything I did by myself. Now, comparing that to the woodpeckers, I had the deluxe woodpecker one. And that was given to me uh, by woodpeckers. So it's kind of hard for me to say this, but the the Incra made the woodpeckers seem kind of almost like a toy. Um, it was not that, it was a bad router table, but it just did not work as good as the, the Incra. I didn't like the, the way the router lift worked. I didn't like the way the fence adjusted. Uh, the Ankara is just much, it's a much, much better experience. It's not cheap by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a, it is a much better way to go. So Brian, yep. what, what do you think? You Do you have a router table? I do have a router table. I've got the, um, it's an old bench dogs cast iron oh, okay. uh, top with, with a bench dog lift in it. And I really, and then I run the, the Porter Cable 7518 motor in there. Um, and I like I like having the cast iron top. And I like the router motor that I have, although it is discontinued. Mm -hmm. I really don't like the lift that I have at all. And for two, two main reasons. One, it is a pain to raise and lower. I have to use like a wrench to access this nut on top to raise and, That's and lower. It, it, is, it is. It honestly, it makes me not even want to use it. And I rarely use it uh, for that reason. The other is the uh, insert plate that, or like the insert ring um, that you'll adjust based on the size of your router bit um, is difficult to change. I mean, there's a couple screws that go along with that and, it's cheap plastic. And, yeah. yeah. So I have on my wish list the Incra uh, router lift and for a variety of reasons. And this may seem like a little thing or a silly thing, but those magnetic snap-in rings oh, yeah, are, yeah, yeah, like that alone um, is enough to be like, yeah, I want, yeah, I want that. That's easy. I should I mention too, he asked about Jessam. The the Anchor jig is the exact same jig as Jessam. It's made by Jessam. Mm -hmm. They even call it the same thing. But but the Jessam does not have those rings. Exactly. I was right. gonna say, that's one thing that is different between They have a ones. different fence system that I've looked at and it's I think yeah. it's pretty impressive. I've never used one, but they have yeah. a very impressive fence system also. The Jessam? Jessam, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't have experience with any of those fences, but mine, mine does have the the bench dogs, almost like an extruded aluminum type fence, and I made just some custom inserts for it. Um, since sometimes they end up getting a little beat up or damaged, and really like that, it tightens down super tight. I don't have to worry about it shifting on me. And I had that happen. I used to have a Rockler, uh, almost like their their melamine type top. And it just, yeah, it felt like the fence was always slipping. And mm -hmm. um, yeah. It clamps on the outside, right? Uh, along the edge? Yeah, it, there was um, almost like a, a T-track channel that that one would ride in and, and lock down into. And this one, this one's just a little bit beefier with the cast iron top. Yeah. yeah. Now, Hui, you've got an Incra. You've got an older one. So I have an Incra ultra for the yeah. fence but the router table itself is one that i built yeah. so it's it's doubled up um mdf with uh formica or laminate on top and bottom and then anyway yeah so it's built out but uh i have the incra insert the master lift to what is it called i can't remember I whatever like the master lift. so you have a you have you have a lift i do and that was an Amazon open box package that was like about a hundred dollars cheaper than 
it brand new. It was used in an open box package. And man, I love that thing. It's wonderful. Uh, I love the snap rings. Now you have uh, guy, you have the, I've um, got the new one. Right. With the, with the, uh, with, with the holes for the, for dust collection, right? Yep. How, how well does that work? It's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. See, I just, I just have to use an oversized uh, ring to get decent dust collection on that. But with looking at at Austin's question is another thing too. He's mainly going to be building cabinets and cabinet based furniture at this point. I'd almost recommend a shaper. If he's going to be doing a lot of that. Yeah, if he's going to be doing a lot of that, running, you know, cabinet doors and, you know, rails and styles and things like that, molding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a shaper is not a bad way to go either. Um, yeah. I've thought a couple times about adding a shaper, but I just never pulled the trigger. Those cutters are uh, cutters are expensive. expensive. They're expensive. Yeah. Spaceships. Yeah. Those things are huge. Yeah. 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 They'll take a profile out of your finger real good. <laughs> yeah. I've done that with a router. Clear right out. But yeah, it, it, my recommendation is to either save up for the Ankara or look for one used online. You can't yeah. go wrong. You can make your own table. But as yeah. far as the lift and the fence goes, I've been an Ankara user back from when they had their first anchor offense that's how i found out about it it was like 1996 or 1997 so it's been a couple years and i had that thing up until i think it was like maybe seven years ago right and i found the one on craigslist and i I bought it really quick that was the only reason i upgraded the other one still worked fine and i actually sold that for more than what i paid for the used LS 17 fence. I actually made money. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. It's a crazy world we live in. I've I've done that before. I'll tell you what though. I mean, I'm surprised at how small the price difference is between that Incra router lift and some of the more economical models. I mean, you're really not paying that much more in the grand scheme of things. No. For for that, and you think about like a like an average table saw versus a you know a powermatic and a saw step, you've got massive price difference. And here you're talking maybe 150 200 dollars more to to go with the absolute top of the line router. Yeah, left. you know, like like we said, we've always said, you know, everything is relative. So yeah. you know, something being a hundred dollars more, eh, it's only a hundred dollars, but you know that might be a hundred and fifty percent more than the next closest one. So, yeah, relatively speaking, it's very expensive, and that's the way people's brains work. I know that's how my brain works on certain things. I'm not paying three dollars for that. It's too much money. Yeah, it's rel- relative. You know? Yeah, yeah. Good yeah. Point. So. Good point. All right, so I think that's going to do it for the questions and answers part of the show. And let's talk about what we got going on in the shop. Brian, you're in the shop. What do you got going on? We've got a whole bunch of ash laying around that needs worked on. I've got, I'm getting down to the final stages of a project and going to start installation on Friday, but I've got about 28. 28 inch and a half wide strips that are going into a kind of a wall accent piece um, that is going to go and are kind of behind and around uh, a, a wall mounted TV and just got a lot of milling and sanding and stuff to do with that. So anxious to, to get this client project off the books and then I'll just be dinking around in my shop for the rest of the year doing, doing fun stuff. Oh. What about you, Hui? Man, I wish I had more time in the shop. I haven't had time in the shop in the last week and a half. Um, we got back from vacation. I've just been slammed with errands, and I had to rent a couple rent a, a couple pieces of equipment to take care of my yard. And anyway, I hadn't been doing much. Uh, but what I need to do is finish up on these doors for this china cabinet because it's really the last part of the China cabinet that I have to do before I start assembly. So I really got to get that done. Hopefully I get that done by this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got the stock almost all milled up. I just have to take off one more 
eighth of an inch and I'm I'm at my target. So yeah. how about you guy? What do you got going on? Nothing. Nothing. As usual. <laughs> nothing. Uh I just got back from vacation too well, about a week and a half ago and it's summertime, man. I, I have I have so much yard work and crap to do. I don't have time to do woodworking right yeah. now. Um, my wife and I were talking about the other day. She's like, why don't you sell those tools that take up so much room? I said, well, I'm not going woodwork. <laughs> and she said, well, what? And I said, you know, well, first of all, I need to, I need to have something to build. Yeah. I just don't want to build something for the sake of building something. Right, right. And it's not like I have customers either. So, um, yeah, there you go. So there you go. I got, I have to, I have to a find something to build and then b wait till there's no yard work to do. <laughs> so the fall. So the fall would be, I think, <laughs> the more realistic. So, all right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this time. And we would like to thank everyone who left us a five star review on iTunes. It really does help us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from you, the woodworking community. So if you have a woodworking question you'd like answered by our panel or me, you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. And I can be found at Guy's Shop on YouTube, or you can just search Guy's Woodshop on most social media platforms and you'll find me. What about you, Hui? AlabamaWoodworker.com. All the links to my socials are there. And Brian, how about you? Uh, you can find me on SimpleCove.com at Brian Schmidt. I don't really have Facebook or Instagram or any of that um, other stuff. You're not missing anything. Yeah, you're smart. All right. Well, very good. Uh, thanks, guys. And we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Thanks, guys. Talk to you in a couple. See you later.